Now, if you're visiting with us today, we began a ten-part series on David entitled, A Man After God's Own Heart, Last Lord's Day. And today we find our passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. It's a a very famous story, but a, a rather lengthy one. And so I'm going to read this for us. I hope you'll follow along in your Bible or in your bulletin insert that has the passage upon it. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. If you like old things, you may enjoy the DIY network show Salvage Dogs, D-A-W-G-S. 
There must be some Georgia connection some way or another. If you've never seen that show, it's about this uh, company called Black Dog Salvage that is in Roanoke, Virginia. And the show basically shows this crew of people going around and, and, and harvesting or salvaging old doors, floorboards, windows, porches, you name it, from buildings or homes that are about to be demolished. And they're not really that uh, particular about where they go or what they do. I've seen episodes where they were in an old grist mill. Or the next time, they might be in an old church saving the stained glass windows and the pews and the doors from the wrecking ball. The next time, it might be an 1890s Eastlake-style house in some town in Tennessee. They're always going, and they're always doing, and the show is worth watching for one of the owners of this company, a guy by the name of Mike Whiteside, who has this bull in a china shop personality. And, he's, and it's not worth watching only because of that, but also because of the gift of vision that he has because he can see something that's old and he can repurpose it in his mind into something very useful and beautiful. For example, an old rotten boat hull that you and I wouldn't even look at or notice he cuts in two and, and repurposes the back end of that boat as, as a bench, complete with crisscraft emblems still on the side. Or he might take an old door and, and build a little frame on the bottom of the door and take an old uh, pew, the, the seat of an old pew, and, and attach it and place some other interesting-looking metal objects on there, and it becomes a unique Hall tree. It's always interesting to see what will come out of his mind because he has this God-given creative ability to see things that none of the rest of us could ever imagine. Now that's one type of vision. Today I want us to talk about another type of vision. One that we have and enhance as we live the days that God gives us in His world. And since I don't have Mike Whiteside's creativity, I'm just going to call this spiritual vision. All people have what we might call secular vision. But Christian people have spiritual vision because they have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them and they have this spiritual vision if they employ the teaching of the truth of God's Holy Word. And we can see an example of the contrast between these two kinds of vision in our passage today. Secular vision is easily seen in Saul's words to David in verse 33, where he says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're too young. You know, it's ridiculous. This man has been a warrior his whole life. Now we can notice here that secular vision is surface vision. 
is what anyone with any common sense at all is able to see. David is just a child in Saul's mind. He's not the proper tool for this job that needs to be done. Now, we don't really know what David's age was at this point in time. We're not told in Scripture. From Scripture, we do know from Numbers 1 that men 20 years of age and older were typically considered old enough to serve in the army of Israel. So David has to be less than 20. But the opinions vary among the scholars whether he's in the 14 and 15 range or whether he's in the 17 to 18 range. Regardless of his number of years, Saul is convinced that David doesn't have what it takes just by looking at him. Now, we have to remember last week's sermon where we talked about God's criteria for choosing leaders in His church. We saw that famous verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7, where God speaking about David's oldest brother, Eliab, speaking to the prophet Samuel, says, Don't look on his appearance, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Hear that exactly. Man looks on the outward appearance. And that's what Samuel did last week. As soon as he saw Jesse's oldest son alive, David's oldest brother, he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. This must be the one that the Lord has chosen. It's the same thing that Jesse did, David's father. He didn't even bring David to this special sacrifice. You know, David was too young, too inexperienced. He leaves him at home tending the sheep while he brings the rest of his sons. And now, in this text today, we see Saul doing the same thing, the king of Israel. As I say, all of us have this ability of this secular vision. It's this ability to look on the outward appearance and say, just like Saul, you can't do this. You're not able. How many churches sit dead in the water today because that's their attitude? We can't do this. You know, we've been trying to plan a daughter church, and I don't know if God's going to bless that opportunity or not. I have no way of knowing. I know they have good Sundays and they have bad Sundays just like we do from an attendance perspective. But you know, as our grandparents used to teach us, can't never did anything. How many times have you said that word can't? I can't do this. When you've been faced with the opportunity to teach or to lead or to keep the children in the nursery and love on them or to give support and encouragement to someone who's going through a hard time or to meet some other kind of need. Now contrast this secular vision with the spiritual vision that David displays. We see it in verses 34 and following. 
where he says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I think David's embellishing a little bit there. I think he's still been keeping sheep, maybe even the day before. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand, we should say, the paw of this Philistine. It's the same word in the Hebrew. Now, spiritual vision comes, obviously, because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We read at the end of last week's text that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And if you are a Christian, saved by the power of God's Holy Spirit, by grace through faith because of Jesus' work for your sins on the cross, His blood that was shed, His body that was broken, then you too have the gift of the Holy Spirit and thus are blessed with the ability to enjoy this spiritual vision of which we speak. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And as he reminds the Corinthians in his first letter, the third chapter, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So we know that the truth of the gospel tells us that as Christian people, as people who've been saved by the grace of God, we have the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And this power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us gives us spiritual vision as He helps us recall the truth of God's Word. David's focus is on this God. This God that he knows personally. This God who is alive. He talks about how Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. God has saved His people in the past and He certainly has the power and the ability to do that again, whether by many or by few. David has seen the work of of this faithful God in his own life. He's standing there before King Saul and he's giving his own testimony. He's saying, look, this is the God I worship. This is what God has done for me in the past and I know he's able to do it again. Which is to say that spiritual vision is not only given by the power of the Holy Spirit but is enhanced by the truth of God's Word as that truth points us to who God really is and it's enhanced by experience as we step out in faith in response to God's call upon our lives. You keep hearing me talk about this spiritual vision and you're saying, I don't know if I have spiritual vision or not. This is how you enhance it. 
You, you look to the truth of God's Word and you find out more and more about who God is and you grow closer to Him through prayer and then you step out in faith when God places His call upon your life to do something for Him and His kingdom. This is one reason why Philip and I stand up here week in and week out and Bob Robinson before us and Henry Louis Smith before him and Kit Greer before him all the way back to Dr. Rogers in 1895 when this church was organized and we've all talked about the importance of God's Word. And our architecture even says that. Look how this room is focused where the, the, the primary focus comes right down here to this point in the very room. And it's not because the preacher is important. It's because of the centrality of God's Word and the focus on God's Word. And that's why there's always an open Bible on this pulpit. The Bible is central. God's Word teaches us about who God is, what He has done for us through His love in Jesus Christ, and how He calls us to live in the days to come. We take the principles we learn there and we apply them, and that's why God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. But we have to turn it on. We have to read it. We have to study it. We have to know what it says. And as we live His Word and look to Him to empower our living, He takes us through good times and bad times and is always with us. And these life experiences help us to have this spiritual vision when times are especially rough or challenging because our sight is theologically rooted just like David's. This is the truth we see so clearly in the decision that David makes to not only join the field of battle against Goliath, but in how he chooses to do so, not with Saul's weapons and armor, but with a sling and a staff and a few chosen stones. You see, now we get a good contrast between Goliath and David. We had one between Saul and David, and we saw the secular vision of Saul and the spiritual vision of David, and now it's the same way with Goliath. We're going to see a secular vision from him and the same spiritual vision from David. This mighty Philistine warrior relies on and believes in his weapons of war. And we know that to be true because that's how Saul describes him. And David says as much in this text in verse 45. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Now it may be the battle of his young life, but notice that's not the attitude David takes into this one-on-one fight to the death. You know, this isn't like professional wrestling you see on television. That's all scripted. This is the real thing. This is a one-on-one fight to the death. And David's willing to go. With his spiritual vision, David knows that the battle belongs to the Lord. 
And he proves that he believes this by the ridiculous decision, some would say even harebrained, to leave sword and armor behind and to go against this warrior with just a sling and a staff. You know, that's like taking a bow and arrow to a fight where everyone else has AK-47s. There is no comparison. And yet David chooses to be different. Now think about that. He chooses to be different. Surely this is part of what Paul's getting at in Romans 12 when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God. If you've read any of this Samuel material lately, and I hope that you have, you may remember that back when Samuel, the prophet, was basically running the nation of Israel from a physical standpoint as well as a spiritual one, that it was before there was a king in Israel that the people of Israel come to him and beg him, saying, give us a king so that we can be like what? So that we can be like all of the nations. David is saying and showing that we don't need to be like the nations. The nations believe in the implements of war. David knows and sees that every battle ultimately belongs to the Lord. And that we have other weapons at our disposal. Weapons like the sword of the Spirit. Weapons like prayer. Weapons like waiting on God. Remembering His marvelous works. David envisions so clearly what he needs to see. He tells Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into my hand, Now, we've been talking about these differing types of vision today, whether secular or spiritual. And the reason that I've labeled surface vision secular vision is because that's one of the tremendous battles, it seems to me, facing the church of Jesus Christ today. We don't have a giant named Goliath. We have a giant named secularism trying to overrun everything that we are in this world and everything we believe and know. And whenever we get discouraged about this or lack the zeal that we should have in, in fighting and battling this secularism, we have to remember that the battle is the Lord's. Now granted, he's looking for people of faith just like David who are willing to run to the line of battle when the timing is right. But we can't ever forget to whom the battle belongs because whenever God gives us the victory, it will be for the same reason that's delineated in this text so that all the world will know that there is a God. 
In other words, for God's glory. And as we remember that the battle belongs to the Lord, and as we see that clearly in our own hearts and minds, then we add our witness to the other witnesses that we see in Scripture. Like the prophet Zechariah, who teaches us that God's purposes in his fourth chapter are not achieved by might or by power, but how? By the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Or we think of the Apostle Paul, who reminds the Corinthians and us that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong, shame the, the, the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, Paul says, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. Do you see, that's the very example David is leaving for us in this text. You know, David is not perfect, as we'll come to find out in this series. But David is a man after God's own heart because he always has God's glory and faithfulness in mind. And if there's going to be any bragging, it's going to be about God for His honor and glory. May God bless each of us with that same spiritual vision to do the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.